Today on the podcast, judges. Sometimes they just say the darndest things, don't they? We hear about an exclusive interview our reporter got with a retiring federal appellate judge. And let me tell you, there's nothing like impending retirement to really loosen the tongue. We also hear about another judge who dismissed an arguably frivolous lawsuit by putting on the gloves, taking it into the ring, and knocking it out. And we bring you up to date on the most important legal news stories happening right now. Stay tuned. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the new legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. This is the place to come for the best discussions about what's happening in the legal world with some of the smartest journalists in the game. Today, we're going to be hearing about a federal judge who has cast off the shackles of circumspection and is telling us what he really, really thinks. But first, let's take a look at the biggest legal news stories of the week. Don't call it the core packing commission. President Biden created a 36-member panel of experts last week tasked with looking at structural changes to the Supreme Court, one of which, one of several, is increasing the court's size. The panel is made up largely of law professors and former judges who, according to conservatives, are overwhelmingly liberal. But there are a few panel members with strong conservative credentials, including former federal appellate judge Thomas Griffith, Harvard's Jack Goldsmith, and William Bode with the University of Chicago. The Supreme Court Commission is scheduled to issue its initial report within 180 days. Corporations aren't the only ones speaking out about voting rights these days. Corporate lawyers are as well. The current and former general counsels of more than 20 of the largest U.S. corporations signed on to a statement that opposes a law passed in Georgia that makes it more difficult to vote. And the corporations represented on this statement include Starbucks, Bristol-Myers Squibb, AIG, and Viacom CBS. This statement comes a few days after a similar statement from several firms in big law, including Aiken Gump, Wachtell, Wild Gottschall, Skadden Arps, and others. The SEC is gearing up for a fight over ESG, that's Environmental, Social, and Governance. The financial regulator is weighing whether to create a whole new division to make sure public companies are reporting info to their investors on these three topics. The rise of ESG investors in recent years has led to calls for more mandatory reporting of this type of info, but many Republicans are fiercely opposed, setting up what could be an intense partisan battle for the likely next chairman of the SEC, Gary Gensler. And finally, the defense is about to present its case in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. If you're following the trial closely, like many of us are, check out our sister podcast, Uncommon Law, for more day-by-day coverage of the trial. That podcast, once again, is Uncommon Law. It's great. Definitely check it out. So one of the things I find kind of frustrating about being a legal journalist is that you don't have a lot of access to judges. You can report on their opinions and rulings, they love when you do that, but you don't get a lot of opportunities to ask them questions. That, however, doesn't seem to be a problem for Bloomberg Law's Perry Cooper. She's managed to score a string of recent interviews with federal judges, federal appellate judges no less, and her latest interlocutor is Evan Wallach, a member of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit. Wallach announced last month that he would be taking senior status, so Perry rang him up to see if he wanted to do an exit interview, and boy, did he. As you'll hear, Wallach was nakedly partisan when describing why he decided to retire now, and he had some sort of, shall we say, inartful comments about Tiffany Cunningham, the woman President Biden nominated as his successor. 
We'll get to that in a second, but first I asked Perry how she keeps convincing all these big shot jurists to sit down and talk with her. So when I started covering the federal circuit at the beginning of last year, I wondered whether, you know, they were going to want to talk to me. And uh, I just figured I would go for it and, and ask. And uh, a few of them have taken me up on it. A few have said no, too. You know, I don't give personal interviews, which was more what I was expecting. Um, but I've told the other ones, you know, I'm willing to talk about whatever you want to talk about. And if that's more um, softer, if you will, issues like diversity and court operations, that's fine. You know, I, I don't expect to get into political topics or specifics of the cases that they cover. Um, but I've been really pleased, you know, I've, I've asked and, and they've said yes, and they've been pretty candid with me when I talk to them. So I figured with Judge Wallach, you know, he announced last month that he's taking senior status. I thought this might be a good time to offer him an exit interview. And sure enough, he said yes. Wow. Um, well, yeah, let's get into him and his background. So how did he how long has he been a judge on the federal circuit? And, and where did uh, you know, what did he, was he doing before that? So Obama appointed him in 2011. Uh, so that's about 10 years on the federal circuit. Before that, he was on the Court of International Trade uh, for 16 years. So he became a trade expert on the trade court. He's learned a heck of a lot about patent law, which is about two thirds of the federal circuit's docket over the past 10 years. But his um, legal career before that was general trial experience. So he's a big proponent of people that have uh, tried cases getting onto the bench. He also served in Vietnam, which has um, been a big part of the reason that he's interested in the law of war academically. He's one of the national experts on that. And uh, he took some breaks from legal practice to work for Senator Harry Reid, uh, work as a judge advocate, and uh, as an attorney advisor for the Pentagon. Um, so is what's he sort of known for? Because, you know, some, judge, some judges are not known for much of anything, but uh, some other judges, you know, have either really landmark opinions that they've issued or a writing style or just a general style in general. What, what's, what's his, you know, brand? Uh, there are a few things. Uh, one thing I would say is... Um, as I mentioned, he had trade law experience, and the, the Federal Circuit does hear appeals from the Court of International Trade as well as the International Trade Commission. And before he was appointed, apparently there was a lot of chatter among trade attorneys that the Federal Circuit just didn't get it, that their opinions were just, you know, messing things up. And somebody in Obama's orbit must have heard that because he appointed both Judge Wallach and Judge Jimmy Reyna, who had been a practicing trade attorney. And Wallach said that um, he and Reyna have worked hard to regularize trade law over the past 10 years. And uh, Wallach thinks that that's really happened. And, and he pointed to the drop in the number of trade appeals that have been filed. So, so like issues that just don't, you know, because of the very clear rulings, I guess, that he and his uh, colleagues have issued before that don't even make it to his court. Exactly right. There's more clarity in the law. The other thing he's really known for is being really tough on the bench. Uh, he will jump in as soon as an attorney starts arguing. You know, I, I know they must either love or hate when they see he's on their panel, because as soon as an attorney starts arguing, Judge Wallach jumps in and says, counsel, I see here on page 34 of your brief and then asks a question. So he gets into, you know, any discrepancies among you know what the attorney has argued Anything he thinks they're trying to get past him, if they're trying to fudge the record, he nails that all down in oral argument. And he told me that's from his own time as trial counsel. He was 
he was always really, really prepared when he was arguing at, at trial, and he expects uh, his uh, the counsel arguing in front of him to do the same. Yeah, based on your story and your interview with him, I just I get the sense he's not someone who um, you know holds in his feelings or his thoughts very often. Uh, in fact, there were some points in your interview that really surprised me. Um, where I mean, let's just sort of get right to it. The one of the first things that you have in your story is that he says. He specifically says he retired now because he didn't want President Trump to appoint his successor, which is, a, you know, from my vantage point, a pretty partisan statement for a sitting federal judge to make. What did you make of that? Were you surprised that he just kind of came out and said that? So there've always there's always been kind of stirrings, rumors, chatter that judges wait for the party that appointed them to be in power in hopes of getting a like-minded successor on the court. I, I wasn't sure if I, I, that's kind of what I was driving at, but I wasn't sure if he was going to go there. But he has been eligible for senior status since 2014. So I think it was a natural question to say, why now? And his answer was the election. Yeah. And, and for, for, well, the reason why I was surprised is not because I was surprised that he did that, because I think, you know, we all know that judges do that. It's just, I was surprised that he said that and said it so clearly and unambiguously. Right. And then later I was talking to him about um, he's also taught judges around the world uh, at various times in his career. And he's always telling them about how essential predictability is in the law. And he said that that's why the last four years were disturbing to him because things were so unpredictable. And so, again, he wasn't mentioning Trump by name. I don't, you know, not trying to be overtly political, but just saying that, you know, he has been unhappy with the way things have gone recently. The other thing that he said that really uh, made my ears perk up when I read your story is that he talked about um, Tiffany Cunningham, who is the nominee to replace him on the federal circuit that President Biden has nominated. She would be the first uh, uh, black judge on the circuit ever, which is kind of remarkable. Um, He, you know, when you talked about her, he said, that she ticks two of his boxes uh, when he, in referring to her race and her gender. That to me seems like a, a phrase that might get him in a little bit of trouble. Um, what, what did you make of that? So I've now talked to, including Wallach, two, three judges total that have said they think it's important to have a black judge on the court. As you said, it's never they've never had one before. It's the only federal federal appeals court that's never had a black judge. And they talked about the importance of, you know, young attorneys coming up, seeing faces that look like them on the binge. Right. Well, and, and I should say, you know, <laughs> um, in terms of wanting diversity on the bench, I think that's something that nearly everyone would agree is should be a priority and, and has been a priority from the Biden administration. I was just kind of surprised that he put it in those stark terms again, that he he just said, you know, that ticks my boxes, like where he had two qualifications for who he wanted to replace him in those were, qualifications were met. It just seems like a very inartful way of talking about diversity on the bench, which is a really serious topic. And I don't know, I was just kind of that surprised by that. Yeah, he was also very quick to mention that, um, you know, she's got a lot of patent experience, which will serve her well in the court, that she has a lot of trial experience, which he really highly values because he doesn't think enough judges have, have been in the trenches, if you will with uh, trial courts. And he also talked about how nice she was, which is something that everybody I've talked to about her says, that she's just really 
pleasant to work with. And that's something that should serve her well on the federal circuit, which has a reputation for um, a real collegial atmosphere for the judges all getting along really well. So Yeah, so I guess it sounds like, um, you know, his goal was to have someone that he really respected and liked as his successor and mission accomplished, it sounds like, uh, for Judge Wallach. Yeah, he told her, he called her the day that she was selected and he told her, there's no one I would rather replace me than you, which has got to feel pretty good when you're the incoming uh, nominee. Uh, finally, you know, let's talk about his personality and, and also about what's coming next for him. Um, you know, he's going to be taking senior status, so he still might be active on the federal judiciary, but, you know, certainly hearing fewer cases, um, what's next in his, uh, uh, in his life? Right. So senior status means he still has to work uh, 25% of the workload of his fellow judges. And he says he really wants to do trial, civil trials, uh, as part of that. So again, that's part of his, you know, personality loving to uh, interact with attorneys. He said he doesn't want to do jury trials because he doesn't want to have to have a poker face for the jury. He wants to tell it like it is, which fits with uh, what, what I know about him. Well, again, that sounds really on brand for him as someone who is, you know, can't, uh, doesn't have a very good poker face, it sounds like. Exactly. Yeah, he, he really is sort of a prankster, it sounds like. He was telling me, um, some of the tricks he used to play on his fellow judges at the Court of International Trade. He changed uh, spell check in Word for one of his colleagues to replace judge with idiot every time he typed it, uh, just to see what was going to happen. Um, another time, he uh, once he made it to the Federal Circuit, he was reviewing a decision by one of his former colleagues, and he wrote a mock-up of the opinion and put it on, you know, Federal Circuit letterhead in a Federal Circuit envelope. And the opinion began, we don't know what they're drinking up there at the Court of International Trade, but any idiot knows that. So I, it helps that I interviewed him on April Fool's Day. So he had all of these great anecdotes ready to go. But he uh, does sound like, you know, he's a very hard worker, but he uh, definitely makes time for, for levity, for fun. Yeah, he's he's got um, – it sounds like he's not afraid to let his personality show and to, to you know, for sure. bring his sense of um, – his personality into his job. All right. Well, uh, Perry Cooper, thank you uh, so much for chatting with me. The next time you talk with, uh, you know, an appellate judge, maybe a Supreme Court justice or two, you know, give me a give me a ring. and We'll have you back on the podcast. I'll keep you in mind. Thanks, David. That was Bloomberg Law's Perry Cooper speaking about her interview with retiring federal judge Evan Wallach. For more on this, check out Perry's story on our website later this week. So, as you may know, we have a team of reporters here at Bloomberg Law that tracks literally hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of legal dockets all across the country all the time. And as a result, they see some interesting legal documents every now and then. So one of our editors on that team, Carmen Castro Pagan, is here today to talk about one such document. So you today have uh, a story about a judge who incorporates his love of boxing into his opinions. Please tell me more. So yes, today's opinion is in Bell versus Eagle Mountain Saginaw Independent School. And it was authored by Judge Mark T. Pittman of the Northern District of Texas. To give listeners some background, um, the plaintiff is Dr. Keith Bell. 
He's a sports psychology and performance consultant. He has authored 10 books and dozens of articles on these subjects. And he has filed a fair number of lawsuits in federal courts alleging copyright infringement of his work, Winning Isn't Normal, of the defendant that is a school district in Texas. I see. So, so the issue here is that this guy's developed a new way to think about winning uh, and sports and other uh, people are trying to copy him and he doesn't like that. That's basically what he's saying, yes. So Judge Pittman starts the opinion with, and I quote, the title card. Today's bout is only one of the latest in a long string of fights involving Dr. Keith Bell. In one corner stands the underdog, Eagle Mountain, a scrappy counter-punching independent school district. In the other stands Bell, an infamous slugger known in federal courts around the U.S. for throwing heavy-handed hooks at nonprofits and taxpayer-funded school districts in hopes that they throw in the towel and let him take the purse. I, I was trying to keep track of how many uh, sort of sports allusions were in that one sentence, and I lost count. There are so many. Oh, yes. And hold it. In refereeing, and this is Judge Pittman, he continues just in the introduction, and I quote, In refereeing today's match, the court finds itself in the frustratingly familiar position of penalizing rabbit punches and kidney shots between parties who, by all reasonable accounts, should not be in the ring at all. Interesting. So, um... If I were an attorney and I had no knowledge of like boxing, you know, terminology, I, and I was reading this opinion, I'd be like, did I win? Did I, I don't understand what's, <laughs> like, did my client lose? I don't know what's happening here. I mean, it sounds like this is like, you know, the judge felt like he could do this because it was a case that he felt like he shouldn't even be hearing in the first place. Is that right? Yes, that's my take too. But then I have one last to close. Oh, it keeps going. Oh, yes, because he then goes on to say, he, he starts this headline with unsportsmanlike conduct. And you know where he's going. Uh-oh, I sure do. He starts, and I quote, This court, like any good referee, does not tolerate unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, basically, he goes on to check on other opinions that other district courts have issued involving Bell's cases. And he says, and I quote, review of the plethora of lawsuits Bell has filed throughout the United States reveals that he is in the business of litigation, not protecting his copyrights or stimulating artistic creativity for the general public good. At the end, Pittman imposes attorney's fees and costs to the school and specifies that this should be paid by Bell, not his counsel. And he closes down with, and I quote, hopefully this will serve as a teaching moment for Bell for the survival of the sport, even the most punch-drunk boxers must understand that unsportsmanlike conduct and violations of the rules cannot and will not be tolerated. Oh, uh, wow. I'm not sure what to say about that. And it, I gotta say, the boxing metaphor held up throughout the whole opinion. I was wondering, like, you know... Is he going to sort of try to push it too far? But he, he really made it work. 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't see I didn't see the the last part um, coming, but I mean, this is this is a good read. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, uh, Carmen. Uh, we're gonna give you the the championship belt here for that one. <laughs> that was outstanding. <laughs> Uh, that was Carmen Castro-Pagan, an editor on the Legal Intelligence Desk. Thank you for joining us, Carmen. Thank you, David. See you. And that'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor, Jessica Coombs, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Reach out to us on Twitter if you have anything on your mind. We use the handle at BLaw. I'm not sure how we secured that handle, but I'm very glad that we got it. Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. See you next week. Hi, this is Adam Ellington, the host and producer of Uncommon Law from Bloomberg Law. It isn't hyperbole to say that the murder trial of George Floyd is likely to be one of the most significant court cases in a generation. In fact, in the nine months since Floyd's death at the hands of a Minneapolis police officer, the name George Floyd has become synonymous with a growing movement for police reform as well as a massive racial reckoning that has spread to all corners of American society. As the trial unfolds, the Uncommon Law podcast will be reporting on the trial in real time, or quasi-real time. Given the amount of interest in this case and the impact it's sure to have, we felt that it was important to be part of that discussion. So if you find yourself interested in this case, either in terms of social justice or because of the legal theories and precedents it touches on, or just because you might be on your own journey learning about issues of race and racism, then I think this is the podcast for you. Just click download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.